Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Primo's Playlist Season 3. My name is Prim, and just like last time, I'll be analyzing 5 underrated Korean songs and recommending them based on your taste in K-pop. Over the course of this podcast, I've talked about a lot of different smaller Korean musicians. After all, that's what this podcast is about. But this week in particular, for some reason, I've been noticing that a lot of artists I've talked about before had comebacks. So how about we check in on some of our previously featured musicians and see what they've been releasing recently. Before we start, a couple things. First, some housekeeping. This is our second to last episode. I'll be releasing one more episode on Halloween, a spooky season finale, and then I'll be on break for I don't actually know how long yet. It'll depend on everything from classes to work to the release schedules for other Brain Rot podcasts. The most I know right now is that I'm going to time it so I start back up during a less busy time in my life. That time being midterms. It's midterms right now. The half of my brain that's usually filled with K-pop songs is now filled with stats formulas and extremely specific information on the history of radio, so expect this to be a lower energy episode. Back to full swing for the finale, I promise. Second, though I'm covering a good chunk of comebacks on this episode, I'm not covering all of them, so I figured I'd shout them out here. Star by Kenny K, Gravity by Jehi featuring Ihwak, Autumn Alone by Dosinamnyo, Busan Letter by Kim Phil Sun, and Without You by Aiden all slap to high heaven, and though they aren't officially on the playlist today, I still highly recommend checking them out. Alright, let's pull up the playlist! Our first song today is 1009 by An Yeun, currently at 55k views on XX Entertainment, 7.3k views on Genie Music, and 500 views on Local High Records, for a total of around 62.8k views. Is this above my usual view threshold? Yes, absolutely, but I can't exactly leave Anya off of my returning artists episode. She is by far the most covered artist on this podcast. First appearing in Season 2 Episode 1 with her spooky ballad Trumpet Creeper, she's since formally reappeared in Season 2 Episode 7 and Season 3 Episode 8, been informally mentioned in Season 3 Episodes 7, 10, 11, and 12, and I even reviewed her entire 2V Island EP in Season 3 Episode 2. So. Yeah, she's kind of the queen of returning artists on this podcast. I realize I kind of spent most of a song analysis section just listing other times I've talked about her, but in a way, that's kind of for the best. There isn't much for me to analyze in this song. From a production standpoint, the song is pretty simple, just a voice and a piano, starting off softer in each verse before building an intensity for each chorus. The whole song is in quick triplets, I want to say even a 12-8 time signature, which is pretty cool. You know I love me some triplets. Other than that, yeah, not much to say. It's an up-tempo piano and voice ballad written in triplet rhythms. After searching through a veritable truckload of K-pop ballad playlists, I found a triplet-based and heavily piano-focused ballad by a more mainstream group, Miracle by GOT7. Of course, there are quite a few differences in the songs, most notably that Miracle adds in orchestral strings and a reverse cymbal percussion later on, but the first half of the song is quite similar to 1009 production-wise. So if you've ever felt yourself more in the mood for the first half of Miracle than the second, give 1009 a try. How about song number two? With little under 750 views on Music Anew, next up we've got Attracted by Sim2 featuring Aiden. This is actually a collaboration between some artists we've seen in two different episodes. Sim2 was a featured artist on Tum Sawi Seal by Maguro, the sore thumb song for Season 3 Episode 7 while Aiden was covered very briefly in Season 3, Episode 13's Lightning Round segment with his song Why Don't You Know, number 13 on that list. 
Attracted starts off with some slightly crushed sounding guitar playing a solo melody before lo-fi inspired drums, deep bass, and mid-toned vocals are poured on top. The mix clears up a bit for the verse, this is a chorus at the start song, though listening to it more closely that's less due to a change in the instrumental and more due to the thinner vocal harmonies in the verses. That's not to say that the instrumental never changes. We get some interesting crunchy piano chords throughout the second verse, and the bridge returns to that solo guitar from the intro, though the bass sticks around. All in all, it's a pretty chill but still upbeat R&B track with clear lo-fi hip-hop inspirations, though it doesn't 100% fit into that genre. Attracted reminds me a lot of Love Again by Baekhyun. Both songs start out with a solo guitar, and both incorporate lo-fi hip-hop elements, though it's definitely more pronounced and attracted. Both songs also have a chill feeling to them without losing too much energy, so if that's the vibe you're going for today, definitely go check out Attracted. Song 3, please. Song number 3 today is Blue Night by Octal, with 2700 views on Genie Music and 26k views on Magic Strawberry Sound. Octal was featured in the One Year Later section of Season 2 Episode 7 with their song Good Night. I guess they're really into song titles ending in night? In any case, let's dive into Blue Night. Unlike what the title would suggest, this song actually has a bit of a playful, cute vibe to it, combining a spacious guitar line with high-toned piano, deep plucked bass, and steady but upbeat drums. The whole thing is given a slightly swung rhythm, adding to that playful feeling, though it mostly comes through in the vocal melody since the rest of the rhythms involved are played steadily like on the quarter notes. That being said, there's also a melancholy undertone to this song which really comes through in the soft vocal harmonies and somewhat minimalist instrumental. So while it has that unexpected playfulness, the sadness the name Blue Knight implies definitely comes through as well. Blue Knight is basically smack dab in between Unlucky and The Shower, both by Ayu. Unlucky has a very playful vibe to it, especially with that slightly swung vocal rhythm, while The Shower adds in that melancholy energy with softer singing and steady drums. Like, if you took Unlucky's vocals and put them over the shower's instrumental, you wouldn't be that far off from Blue Knight. So if you're a fan of IU's wide range of styles, Blue Knight could be the best of both worlds. How about song number 4? Alright, at 1200 views on Amoeba Culture, this is Cool by Sonjay. It's been a while since we've listened to any Sonjay. I took a look at his song Home Dance all the way back in Season 1, Episode 4. This one starts off ambient and dark, almost creepy, just low-toned piano and echoing distorted voices in the background. Once the vocals and drums come in though, the song feels a lot more grounded, though it still has an ethereal quality to it. Where the song really shines in my opinion is the bassline. With the rest of the song being so ambient, and with the drums being so steady, the bassline is really the only thing other than the vocals which has a real rhythm to it, so it really stands out. That being said, it's subtle enough that it doesn't overshadow the vocals. All in all, it's an echoey, ambient, bassy track that captures a certain sadness without falling into standard ballad tropes. If I had to choose a song to compare with Cool, which I do because that's the point of this podcast, I think I'd compare it to Zero O'Clock by BTS. Both songs have a similar structure at the beginning, starting more formless and ambient before being grounded by the vocals, drums, and bass. However, Zero O'Clock is faster paced than Cool. Not only is the actual BPM slower in Cool from what I can tell, but Cool also uses a half-time tempo, while Zero O'Clock doesn't. So if you love Zero O'Clock but can't quite fit it on your Slow Songs to Cry To playlist, totally an experience everyone can relate to 100%, Cool is a good option for you. Let's hear song 5! 
Our fifth song today is One Step by Freezy Bone, garnering 2.5k views on Super Soundbugs. We last saw Freezy Bone in Season 3, Episode 13, quite recently, with their song Freezy Vogue coming in as song number one on Lightning Round, the best of the best from the cutting room floor. A complete 180 from the various quieter, more chill tracks on this playlist, here we have a neutral song. We start off with a funky guitar riff alongside hi-hats and a glitchy producer watermark, before the harsh, hyper-auto-tuned vocal line and disco-inspired percussion come in for the first chorus. The first verse features a sparser instrumental, letting the funky bass line really shine through from underneath the echoey, almost distorted vocals. During the rap pre-chorus, chiptune elements come in alongside the existing neutral instrumental, lightening the mood a little and putting a unique spin on this admittedly heavily used genre. The chiptune sections are not the most unique aspect of this song, however. That would be the instrumental break, which combines the neutral style with Korean traditional music, a returning element from Freezy Vogue, and a recurring feature throughout their first EP, on which both of these songs appear. One Step, though completely different tonally from Freezy Vogue, definitely has that same Freezy Bone creativity. As weird as it sounds, I would recommend One Step to anyone who likes WOW by Lovelies. But they have very different concepts, WOW has a deep bass and bouncy percussion line pretty reminiscent of disco-inspired neutral, even if it's not necessarily meant to be neutral in itself. Plus, both songs use chiptune elements in certain sections of the song. The main difference is, of course, the vocals, with WOW opting for soft, cute, and clear timbres over One Step's harsher sound. So if you think WOW is a bop, which it is, but you're not a fan of cute concepts, One Step might be right up your alley. Last but not least, let's hear our sore thumb song. Our sore thumb song today is Niga Monde, translating to How Dare You According to Google Translate by Emperor, currently at 5.5k views on Flendon. Though this isn't an artist we've covered before, there's still a bit of a past episode comeback here. But I'll get there when I get there. First, let's analyze this song. Right out of the gate, we're hit with upbeat electronic drums, tons of danceable synths, and a repetitive but catchy melody which pulls you right out of your seat and onto the dance floor. The instrumental composition doesn't change much in the first verse, instead opting for a less filled-out vocal melody and greater emphasis on the rhythms of the background synths. The same consistency applies to the post-chorus, though the vocal line becomes so auto-tuned that it blurs the line between vocals and lead synth, which I actually found a pretty interesting production choice. Everything switches up at the bridge though, going for a less melodic approach with sparser, brassier synths and harsher percussion choices, before returning to the previous style for the final chorus. In short, it's a perfect party song, something I wouldn't at all question hearing in, like, a nightclub. So here's where we get to the past episode callback. I first introduced the Sore Thumb Song segment in Season 2 Episode 2 when I covered Thumbs Up by Crispy Crunch, comparing it to Low by Flo Rida featuring T-Pain. Sadly, I had to actually retract this segment in Season 3 Episode 8 when I discovered that Thumbs Up was too old to have been allowed to be featured in one of my playlists. Well, finally, I have a chance to redeem myself. Nico Monde is a confirmed recent release, which my brain cannot listen to without immediately filling in those infamous lyrics. Apple bottom jeans, boots with the fur, the whole club truly was looking at her. So if you're looking for party perfect songs along the lines of low or thumbs up, Nico Monde is the perfect choice. Oh, and just like last time, by the transitive property, it also goes well with Lucifer by Shiny. There's just one more thing to take care of before we end today's show. You know it, you'll love it. It's time to spin the wheel of segments. And this week's segment is... Melting Down Gold. 
The South Korean music industry is scarily productive and highly competitive. Many artists enter, but only a few reach success. In Melting Down Gold, I investigate breakout hits by well-known artists to find out what made it so dang popular, and often find a larger story underneath. Today we'll be investigating Gangnam Style by Psy, currently at 4.2 billion views on Psy's official YouTube channel. That's around half of the current world population. Unlike most songs I discuss on Melting Down Gold, we already know exactly why Gangnam Style was so popular. Its music video went viral in the West, becoming a cultural phenomenon via memification, for lack of a better term. Heck, I have memories of learning to do the iconic Gangnam Style horse dance back in elementary school gym class. So instead of breaking down what made Gangnam Style popular, let's instead look at the misunderstanding and cultural myopia which fueled its rapid spread. And, at the end, weigh in on the biggest questions surrounding the song even to this day. Did Gangnam Style help or hurt K-pop in the Western market? Before we get into all of that though, there's one thing we need to understand about Gangnam Style. It's actually commentary on South Korean society. An article from The Atlantic around the time of Gangnam Style's release describes the actual real-world district of Gangnam as, to quote directly, the embodiment of South Korea's 1% and notes that its residents are usually recipients of generational wealth rather than self-made, despite the, quote, emphasis on hard work and aspirationalism deeply embedded in the country's culture during its rapid economic growth. This aspirationalism, according to the article, morphs into materialism and overspending as people try to attain that literal Gangnam style, to the point where many scrimp and save on essential items to be able to afford status-identifying luxuries. However, especially at that time, South Korea was seeing growing youth resentment against this materialism, in part due to the inequality in who gained most from the country's economic growth. This disillusionment with materialistic aspirationalism is reflected in Sai's music video, which frequently features him engaging in expensive activities in unluxurious places. He sunbathes at a playground sandpit, he parties on a bus filled with tourists, trash and snow rain on his head like confetti on a red carpet. Heck, some of his lyrics even talk about wanting a woman who drinks coffee, referencing the prevalence of expensive coffee shops in South Korea at the time. I should note there is one thing that this Atlantic article gets very much wrong. Towards the end of the article, it is speculated that perhaps, quote, obviously skewering the ostentatiously rich was what made the song so popular in America, as the issue it addresses, materialist aspirationalism, rings true over here as well, even if the South Korea-specific references such as the coffee were not understood. I can tell you right now that that absolutely is not true. Most people in the West, especially in America, did not pick up on the satirical aspect of Gangnam Style. To us, it was not funny because it was true, it was funny because it was seen as ridiculous. There are several factors which played into this misunderstanding. One big one is cultural myopia, in which a lack of knowledge about South Korean cultural issues meant that the idea of this being satire did not even cross many people's minds. Another is the timing. Gangnam Style was released in 2012, the height of lol random humor in predominantly western online spaces, so many of us were primed to expect complete non-sequiturs in funny internet stuff. A third, which we cannot ignore, is racism. Alongside the good faith dance covers and remixes were yellowface parodies and gibberish imitations of the Korean language. Racism also factors into that first point, cultural myopia, as it deters people from learning more about other cultures and makes people expect all media, even that which does not originate from their own culture, to cater directly to them. We're actually still seeing this phenomenon today in the breakout Netflix series Squid Game, which many Western viewers are misunderstanding, to say the least. 
If I had a dollar for every time I saw some random conservative commentator say that Squid Game, a South Korean show about South Korean capitalism, reminds them of North Korean communism, I would be rich enough to be made fun of in Gangnam Style. So that brings us to the big question. Did Gangnam Style help or hurt K-pop in the West? I would argue that it did both, but Psy is not the one to blame for that hurt. It cannot be denied that Gangnam Style was hugely influential over here to the point where many people, especially people around my age, were introduced to K-pop through that song. We're just a little too young to have been online during Wonder Girls' time, you know? However, it also cannot be denied that much of the Western fervor over this song was fueled by grave misunderstanding at best and straight-up racism at worst. Very few people over here took the song seriously, even if they legitimately enjoyed it. This is where the hurt comes in. Those who listened to Gangnam Style but did not then seek out other K-pop songs were led to believe that all K-pop was like that, despite the fact that not even Gangnam Style was like that. However, this failure to grasp the point of Gangnam Style is on us, not him. It was our distinctively white, and in my country's case, American myopia, that made us believe that our cultural view of media is the correct one, that everything is and should be targeted directly and entirely to us. That is simply not the case, especially when it comes to culturally specific satire. So yeah, I think that Gangnam Style technically did some damage to the Western perception of K-pop, but really, the real damage was inside us all along. And with that, we end episode 15 of Prime's Playlist Season 3. If you enjoyed this episode, check out the original songs at bit.ly slash pmp underscore s3e15. All letters capital, all numbers numerals. If you want to say hello, you can find me on Instagram at primms underscore playlist, Twitter at Playlist Prim, or the official Primms Playlist YouTube channel. Links to everything can be found at linktree slash Prims Playlist. That's linktr.ee slash P-R-I-M-M-S-P-L-A-Y-L-I-S-T. Primms Playlist is a proud member of BrainRout Presents. For more information, visit brainroutpresents.wixsite.com slash landing. If you'd like to support our podcasts, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash underscore PRSNTS. Only $2 a month for Discord access and longer episodes, $5 a month for in-episode shoutouts and early episodes, plus bonuses for all our other podcasts. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, visit fundraiser.com slash underscore PRSNTS. That's F-U-N-D-R-A-Z-R dot com slash underscore PRSNTS. Shout out to our $5 plus tier Patreon supporters, Adrian Frisbee, Saffron, Jupiter McIntyre, Prozac Haven, Dylan Beauchamp, Connor Fox, Chan Aloni, Crow, Juno, Ollie Skiance, Mordecai Sennett, Aaron Zabo, Jace Pastris, Theo Hendry, and Morgan Patterson. You make this podcast possible. Thanks for jamming with me today.